You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. If you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. As we stand under God's word. Genesis chapter 28. The verses will also be up on the screen. Verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and God to pa- and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. 
called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Beloved, this is the word of God. You may be seated now. What comes to mind when you think about sojourning? What comes to mind when you think about what it means to be an exile? For some of us, we might have in mind this nomadic way of living where the destination is the journey and it's filled with slack lines and pour overs and hammocks. But what does it really mean to be a sojourner? What does it mean to be an exile? Home. It has everything to do with home, or rather being away from home. Being pushed out to journey and wander through strange places for a place to call home. And for us as a church, this is hitting close to home. As we are praying and pleading with the Lord for protection and mercy, rescue and relief to Ethiopia and to our dear friends and partners in the gospel, the Grangers. And while we are not in any immediate danger here in Orange County, we know what it's like. If we're being honest, we know what it's like to live as an exile, to sojourn. Things are not right in this world we live in. Things are not right in this world we live in and with our own hearts and our own relationships that we make. This is a desert land and it's parched. We know what it's like to live as exiles. The grass is always greener on the other side. The thing that we think we need turns out it doesn't satisfy And actually, a lot of the times, we end up loathing the very thing that we thought would give us most rest. We try over and over and over again to fix ourselves, but we're just left hopeless and depressed. The peril of our hearts and this world, it's unmistakable. And if you're not seeing this this morning, my, my hope and my prayer is that you would see that the thing that you think is satisfying you is a water mirage in the desert. However, hope is not lost. Hope is not lost because God is not far. And that's exactly what we see here in Genesis 28, our text before us this morning. Jacob is now in exile. He's running, he's literally running for his life from his murderous brother Esau. And yet Jacob is not alone. 
And so the simple argument, the simple argument from this text to us this morning is this. Exiles with nothing who sojourn with God have everything. Exiles with nothing who sojourn, who walk with God have everything. And as we move through this chapter, we'll work through it in three movements. First, Jacob and Esau, again, verses 1 through 9. Second, sojourning with God, verses 10 through 17. And third, failure to understand, verses 18 through 22. So first, Jacob and Esau, again. Second, sojourning with God. And lastly, failure to understand. So as we move into this text into our, and into our first point of the text, look with me at chapter 28, verses 1 and 2 again. Jacob and Esau. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So before diving into this chapter, it's really important to get context. Where are we at in the story? What just happened in the previous chapter? And if you weren't here last week and didn't hear the sermon from Pastor Dylan, I highly recommend it. We, we saw in this scene, in chapter 27, family dysfunction at its finest. We see Jacob scheming to deceive his father with the help of his mother to take the blessing from Esau by dressing up like his brother. And at the end of the day, Jacob's plan succeeds and he deceives his father Isaac And as you can imagine, Esau is not happy. In Cain-like fashion, Esau makes plans to kill his brother Jacob once his father passes away. And news of this comes to Rebekah, and Rebekah pulls Jacob aside and says, you need to hightail your way out of here. Your brother is out to kill you. And so Rebekah, at this point, she is a master manipulator too, she doesn't tell this to Isaac. She, says that she, she tells Isaac another narrative, which is true. She says that Jacob needs to go up north to the region of Padan Aram to find a wife from her kindred and not from the land of Canaan. And so Isaac consents, and that's where we find ourselves here in the text. And this fits perfectly for Rebekah and Jacob, not only for protection from murderous Esau, but it's also such a hinge in the patriarchal story where the new patriarch Jacob receives the Abrahamic promise from Isaac and he begins his journey. And so Jacob is on the run. He's running for his life. He's fleeing from Esau. He is a sojourner. He's in exile and he is homeless. But before he leaves to go on his journey, as we'll see in verse 10 and following, there's some really important features in this text regarding Jacob and Esau. In verses 1 through 5, Esau, or rather Isaac, 
blesses Jacob and gives him uh, a word of instruction. And there's a lot of things that Isaac says to Jacob uh, regarding what to do. But the main point, the thing that comes to the surface in Isaac's address to Jacob is that this is very covenantal. The language is very Abrahamic. Look with me at verse 3. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Sound familiar? That you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you. That you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So in verse 3, we just see the Abrahamic promise in a nutshell reiterated. God's promise to Isaac to, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob, that his offspring would be more than the stars of the sky, innumerable, that, they would, that he would inherit the land and that he would be blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. Land, seed, blessing. Also notice here in this text that Isaac uses the name God Almighty. This is El Shaddai. The name that God revealed to Abraham in Genesis 17 for the first time. And now he uses it here very intentionally. So again, let's not get lost in the details and miss the point. The main point is crystal clear. Without a shadow of a doubt, the covenant of Abraham, the promise of land, seed, and blessing has passed on from Abraham to Isaac And now to Jacob, the patriarchal baton has been passed. Then we see in verses 6 through 9, Esau. And we see Esau do something really interesting here in the text. Essentially, what he's doing here is he hears, he overhears Isaac bless Jacob and instruct Jacob to go to Padan Aram, to find a wife, not from the land of Canaan, not to find a Canaanite wife, but from kindred, from their own family. And he understands that Isaac and Rebekah don't like the women of the land of Canaan. Even earlier, a couple chapters before uh, Jacob and Rebekah, the author Moses remarks that they are in turmoil, that they, the text reads, I have to find this now. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 26, verse 35. And so here we see Esau, he takes the instruction, not that it wasn't given to him, it was given to Jacob, but he takes this instruction and he decides to take matters into his own hands. He's trying to please his own father. And you could just see him struggle and claw at one last chance to make things right again. But as Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner helpfully writes, Esau's attempt to do the approved thing was like most religious efforts of the natural man, superficial and ill-judged. To take a third wife, even though an Ishmaelite, 
was better than a Hittite, was hardly the way back to blessing. And so therefore we see in this opening section a contrast between not only Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, but we see a contrast between the kind of the the way of God's promise and blessing, which can only come from God. And then we see this contrasted against human effort and human striving to take matters into your own hands, to seize the blessing in in the strength of the flesh. And so Jacob, he's no shining example by any means. We've seen that. We'll continue to see that even in our text today. But that's the point. It doesn't come by works. This promise of God to bring restoration and redemption and blessing comes by his prerogative alone. However, so we see... We see this opening section, it's this beautiful promise, reiterated, right? It's beautiful, it's wonderful. And Jacob is still on the run. He's running for his life from murderous Esau. He is in exile with nothing, which leads us to our second movement in the text, sojourning with God. Draw your attention with me to verse 10 and 11. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. This small little description in these two verses is really brief, but it's really important. This is Jacob. This is Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the heir of promise. And we see him here in such meager circumstances, on the run, running for his life. I I was talking with Tracy on Friday. It was so helpful. I didn't realize Haran in the region of Paddan Aram is 500 miles away from where he's at. And he gets to this spot 50 miles from where he's at. Not that far. I mean, it's far. But not that far away from Beersheba where Esau is. And when you have to use a rock as a pillow, you know things aren't going well. Especially as you lay your head down to sleep and you're not sure if you're going to wake up. But that's where Jacob's at. He indeed is a pilgrim. He is in exile. Going off the words of his father as he lays down to sleep. But then we see in the text something miraculous happen. Look with me at verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north 
and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God shows up in this little pathetic campground where Jacob is using a rock as a pillow. God shows up. And this is really significant in the story of Genesis because this is the first time that God reveals himself to Jacob. God revealed himself to Abraham, remember in chapter 15, when he put Abraham into a deep sleep and God cut the covenant and God showed himself and revealed himself to Isaac in chapter 26 when Isaac was on the run, when Isaac was running from famine in the land and God shows up to Isaac at night. And here in our text this morning, God shows up at night to Jacob. And it reminds me of Job and his response to God at the end of the book of Job in Job 42, verse 5. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I heard, of, I heard about you, but now my eye sees you. It's one thing to hear about God. It's one thing to hear about God from your mom and dad, but when God shows up to you, when God shows up in the camp and reveals himself to you and speaks, this is altogether different. And what did Jacob hear? What did Jacob hear when God spoke? Nothing but good news. Nothing but good news and nothing that he hadn't heard before. It's this Abrahamic promise, reiterated. The promise of God given to Abraham. Everything God promises to Jacob here, it's been previously spoken to his fathers. When Abraham, remember in chapter 13 when he separated from Lot and he's, he's looking out on the Jordan Valley and God says, essentially, Look north, south, east, west, it's all yours and to your offspring. And your offspring will be more than the dust on the earth. And here in this text, God says the same thing to Jacob. In Isaac, chapter 26, as he's sojourning at night, God says to Isaac, fear not, I'm with you. And here in our text this morning, God says the same thing to Jacob as Jacob is certainly anxious and fearful. He says, I'm with you. I'm going to keep you. I keep my promises. But Jacob not only hears the Lord, but he also sees him. He sees this vision of God in his dream. Look with me at verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So here we have this, this crazy scene of heaven and earth colliding 
over this bridge, this, this ladder, this staircase where angelic beings are ascending and descending upon it. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we make sense of this? What does this mean? Simply put, this is God revealing to Jacob that he, God, is present. We know this because of Jacob's response in verse 16, when Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. This is the house of God, right? But we also see it clearly depicted in the vision, in the dream itself. We see this glorious scene of God's presence, God's realm, God's space, not just somewhere out there, but actually touching down on earth. God is present. And this is what God is communicating to Jacob. So there's this, there's this promise declared with God's mouth, this great promise reiterated, and then there's this vision, this dream of this ladder, this staircase to heaven. So there's, there's this promise and there's this vision. How do we make sense of these? Are these two separate things that we have to piece together on, on their own? Or, or do they fit together? And I'm convinced they fit together. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve and all of humanity were designed to dwell with God, to be with God in his perfect, unfettered glory and presence to carry out God's mission. However, peace and shalom and God's presence was lost through Adam and Eve's transgression when they sin. And this, this is why we as a people, as humanity, are in this exile. This is why we're feeling this desert wasteland. Because everything after Genesis 2 has never been the same. However, God is showing Jacob with vivid clarity and power and us that he has from the beginning intended to dwell with his people. He has always intended to bridge the gap, the chasm between God and man. And this ladder, this stairway to heaven is not man's creation. This has Tower of Babel undertones, but it's completely different. This is not the Tower of Babel 2.0. God reveals this to Jacob while he's asleep like a baby on the ground. This is God's doing. This is God's work. His promise to restore again his very presence by his own powerful means. And church, this is really good news to us. This is really, really good news to us. For those of us who are in Christ, we know this place is not our home but we seek a city that is to come. Even when life is going smooth and swimmingly, we know that we are created, as C.S. Lewis puts, for another world. And for those of us, for you, who are suffering, and life is not going smooth, this is especially comforting. Brother, Sister, if you are suffering, if you are struggling, 
if you feel like you have nothing left, like you're at your wit's end, that you're just so frustrated with yourself, that you don't know what to do, that you keep drenching your couch with tears, this is really, really good news. God is in the camp. God was in the camp with Jacob and he's with us now. Exiles with nothing who sojourn with God, who walk with God, have everything they need. The very world around us could crumble. Everything could be stripped away. And it is. Right now, it's 9.20 p.m. in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa. And the Grangers are going to sleep. And a hundred miles away from them, on their doorstep is a rebel army threatening their very peace and safety. And you know what Michael Granger texts me in response? He says, I am confident that the throne of grace is our greatest strength. And we're not we're not in Addis Ababa right now. We're here in Orange County. And this is true for us and we need to hear this this morning. Whether it's doubt, social anxiety, grieving the loss of a loved one, temptation, addiction, depression, conflict in marriage, catastrophe, courtrooms, God is with his people, and that's enough. And that doesn't mean that all the tears magically go away. But it does mean that God who's in the camp is very near the one who wipes away all of our tears. If you have a rock for a pillow, or a pillow drenched with tears, you have everything you need. You have everything you need because you have God himself, God Almighty, El Shaddai. And so our response is similar to Jacob's. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. God is here. As a result of the dream, Jacob is left in awe and almost speechless at what he has just seen and what he has just heard. And what else do you do besides worship? And this scene ends with such weight and gravity and worship. And then we get to verse 18 and things turn. Look with me at verse 18 as we move into our last point, failure to understand. Verse 18. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. So after the dream, as Jacob wakes up, he realizes God is in this place. And he sets up this monument, this pillar, to memorialize the fact that God showed up in the camp. He turns his pillow into a pillar, and he names the spot Bethel, which is fitting because that literally means house of God. Wonderful, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God... If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Do you hear that? Do you hear it? It's typical of the patriarchs to respond to God in worship after just receiving a revelation of God. Abraham does this. He sets up an altar. Isaac does this. He sets up an altar. And now Jacob does this. He sets up a pillar, a monument. And the odd thing about what Jacob does isn't the pillar or monument in and of itself, but it's the vow that he makes to the Lord. He essentially says, if God will be with me, then the Lord shall be my God. Right? Abraham, God shows up to Abraham, and Abraham believed what God said. Jacob, if God will be with me, then the Lord shall be my God. If God will protect me on this journey and give me food, then he'll be my God. Then I'll give a tenth, a tithe to him. Maybe Jacob's intentions are well, and it but it almost just sounds like a you scratch my back, God, and I'll scratch yours. But this doesn't really surprise us, right? This is Jacob. His name literally means supplanter, deceiver. If Jacob were a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he would be Loki, the trickster, the god of mischief. However, the point for us is not to rail on Jacob after all, after all, we're more like him than unlike him. But the point here is that God is patient. God is patient with his people. He's patient with us who don't see the sufficiency of what he has given us. And so Jacob is in exile. He has nothing. Yet God is in the camp. He has God. Therefore, he has everything but he doesn't see it yet. Jacob is a work in progress. And so Jacob misses the point and he clearly does not comprehend how marvelous, how amazing this latter dream really is. However, what's even more amazing about this dream is what it's pointing forward to. What's most amazing about this dream is what it is pointing forward to. Turn with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 51. 
John chapter 1, verse 51. The verse will also be up on the screen. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is revealing himself to a man named Nathaniel and says that there will be an epic day when the angels of God will ascend and descend upon himself, the Son of Man. And do you notice, Jesus doesn't mention anything about a ladder. There's no ladder. What Jesus is saying is absolutely stunning. Jesus is saying that the reunion, the reunion of heaven and earth has come. When man will have access to God once again, when the Garden of Eden will be restored, He's saying that that happens by means of his own life. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And Jesus became our way in similar fashion to the function of a ladder. He was stepped on. The Son of Man, God in the flesh, was stepped on. He was mocked by sinners, beaten by sinners, crucified by sinners, and resurrected from the dead to rescue sinners and offer the only way to God. He's the only way out of this dry, desert, parched land. He is enough. And he's not only the means to an end, but he himself is the end. Jacob says in Genesis 28, verse 17 in our text, Jacob says, this is the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Jesus says, I am the house and I am the gate. I am the way, I am the means, I am the end. There is no other. And you might be sitting at the edge of your seat right now asking, how? How do I get this? How do I get in? You use the ladder. You lay hold of Christ by faith, the only way, and you will find that he is sturdy, that he is faithful, and that he really is enough, even when life is hard. And so church, as we sojourn in this life as exiles with nothing, We have everything because we have God himself. We have Christ, our mediator, the means and the end. 
And one day we will see him past the mountains into that celestial city. We'll see him face to face. And yet he's not only out there one day, right? But every step of the way on this pilgrimage, in our sojourning, he has promised that he is with us and that he'll never leave us. And this is really, really good news to sojourners.